Welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. This is a special edition from KubeCon in Europe. Today, my guest is Matt Jarvis from Sneak. I, I always say that name wrong, so I, so I emphasize it just so that yeah. I, I get yeah, it right. Yeah, you got it, you got it. <laughs> okay. And uh, just, um, you know, the reason why I brought you here is because, you know, security is kind of top of mind in a lot of people's minds right now. And I really just wanted to discuss the security landscape and, and what people are thinking about. So. Well, I mean, I, I think the, the key issue for a lot of people at the minute is clearly the supply chain piece. Yeah. You know, when we talk about supply chain, what we're really talking about is in in our kind of environment in the open source world, we're talking about um, vulnerabilities in upstream package repositories that are then being included downstream into our applications. So, you know, I'm writing a Java application, I'm including a bunch of libraries, and it's much easier uh, for... Uh, attackers to get stuff into that supply chain than it is to find novel exploits in in the end application code, right? And this is driving, you know, a whole bunch of changes. You know, the stuff about uh, software builder materials, which we've all heard a lot about over over the last year or so. Um, but you see these amounts of vulnerabilities in package managers just going up stratospherically, and. Uh, you know, this is is kind of a, a double-edged sword, right, about how we've been able to innovate really quickly to have access to, to packages and libraries in, in all these ecosystems like Java, JavaScript. So it's enabled that, you know, extreme rapid application development. But at the same time, we're now starting to feel the pain of that where, you know, it's become an attack vector for, for malicious actors. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think someone described it. I can't remember who said this, but they're like, it's like one of those horror movies. You know, it used to be that, you know, you have a door and the attacker stays out outside your house. But yeah. now it's like you have that phone call. It's in your house. Yeah. Because because what's happening is is that, you know, your 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 application developer is someone who is 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 tasked to get this application is out as fast as possible. And what that means is they're gonna be crafty. And they're yeah. going to say, "Hey, look, let me figure out the API or the or the or the service or whatever I can consume that will, uh, you know, get my job done the fastest." They're not thinking about, ah, "Is this going to be secure? Is this not going to be secure?" That's not their job. And their job yeah. is, and their 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 you know critical line of, of 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 thinking is really to get this out as fast as possible. Yeah. So now this is almost an afterthought, unfortunately. And, and uh, you know, this has caused a lot of problems, you know, because fast, fast, fast is, is the mentality. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't see, you know, it's very difficult to see how we ever overcome the friction between those two things, right? Yeah. Because, you know, what is the driver of success in the cloud era? Velocity, you know, yep. how fast you can get new versions to, to market, um, how fast you can take advantage of your user data coming back into you. Yep. And, you know, otherwise there's a competitor sat behind you waiting to eat your lunch, right? Yep. So, you know, somehow we've got to square that circle of, of you know, we, we can't just say, right, well, we're going to have to start writing everything from scratch again. You know, we'll go back to the 1950s <laughs> yeah, where, yeah. you know, every piece of code is is handcrafted yeah. because, you know, that's not the case. And, and, uh, and it, it's not the case that necessarily these are to do with, with bad programming, right? Not at all. You know, I mean, there's yeah. lots of lots of these uh, these emerging vulnerabilities, in particular upstream libraries. You know, they're mistakes in you know that anybody could have made. But because these things are so ubiquitous, you know, if we look at the the log for shell thing, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, that was just in everything. Yes. And you know, I mean, uh, to be fair, that vulnerability had been around for a super long time as well, and that nobody. But as soon as it's out there and people yep. have gone, oh, this is exploitable. <laughs> 
Well, you've got exploits in the wild within five seconds, yeah. right? But if I'm an enterprise and I've got 10,000 Java applications and they're all using Log4j, yeah. what am I supposed to do about that, right? Yeah. I, I, and in a lot of cases, enterprises don't even know what's in their applications. And, you know, I think this was the big alarm bell for, for a lot of particularly bigger enterprises was like, well, how do we know that we're even vulnerable to this thing? Yeah. And the, and the bigger thing is, is that, you know, there's so much, so many layers of abstraction these days. So even though Log4j was generally a Java thing, people wrap that in other yeah. wrappers and then use it within other things. And it's not just software. Software goes into hardware and then hardware yeah. has problems. So, you know, it's a, it's a bigger thing. Like, how do you track that from from, you know, what that application is actually doing down to all the different abstraction layers, down to, to, to the final piece of code. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think it's, you know, it's also exposed, um, there's some, some interesting challenges around addressing this, right? You know, we've seen the, the response from the White House in terms of, of uh, software bill and materials for, for open source projects. But, uh, uh, but I, th I think it's sometimes in that legislation, there's danger there for open source as well, right? I mean, uh, uh, you know, in some of the, the EU discussions about uh, liability, for example, you know, should an open source maintainer be liable or should a, um, you know, a packager slash distributor be like, you know, where does that liability level lie? Yeah. And you, you have the, the potential there um, with these new kinds of, uh, of legislation around um, dealing with the supply chain to actually be a, uh, a dampener on innovation within open source, right? Because, you know, what, what, uh, what open source maintainer is going gonna, is gonna to want to be made liable for future discovered vulnerabilities um, in their code, which, you know, I mean, it's just an unreasonable expectation, right? Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's uh, you know, Cisco or, or Sneak or anybody else uh, taking a piece of software, packaging that up, adding enterprise functionality, as most vendors do, then, you know, that's a, that's a clearer kind of line of who should be liable for that, right? Because, you know, the person who is, who is extracting the value from that commercially. But, you know, if we start saying every open source maintainer is responsible, you know, potentially for hundreds of millions of dollars, right, in these days in terms of And of no, one, no one would create anything. Yeah. No, exactly. No <laughs> one would create anything. Yeah, and, or they wouldn't distribute you know, it. Yeah, yeah exactly. 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 So exactly. You, would, you would kind of end the creativity and the, and the progress and everything yeah. that's being done, which also brings up another point, which is, you know, uh, licensing is hard enough right now to pick the right license that you want to license your 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 software with, and this kind of adds another dimension to it because now you really have to think about it because if you pick the wrong one, you might be more or less liable for 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 something in this. Like you know, there's always I think GitHub has like a license wizard, and you know, yeah, uh, you know all these types of things. How you license your project, and well, I mean, I, I think in a way this is an, the, the, you've hit on an interesting interesting topic in in our industry there as well, right? The yeah. proliferation of open source licenses, and yeah, you know, I mean, uh, uh, in in some ways this kind of sits with the with the OSI to to kind of unpick. But I mean, what we've seen over over the last. Uh, probably a decade is a massive proliferation of open source licenses yeah. a lot of whom are incredibly similar to each other yeah. right and a, a company goes well i just need this tiny little tweak well do you really <laughs> you know and, and i think there's there's something to be said for a uh 
for a reduction in the amount of open source licenses there are out there because yeah. it is it, it's extraordinarily confusing for enterprises right? yeah for anybody and, though i mean you know, yeah, you know yeah well yeah but i mean this you know i mean i i've straddled those two worlds of open source and enterprise for most of my career yeah, and, but they're, they're kind of in a different you know enterprises want certainty right don't they you know yeah. and that's the that's the you know as soon as you add in confusion there then you know you're making that a very difficult choice for for a technology to be adopted. You know, and ent enterprises need certainty about things like licensing. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's you know it just it, it adds so much complexity and and you know, it's funny going back to the 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 supply chain stuff though. Um, you know, everybody has different theories on on how this should be done. You know. Um, you know, S bomb is not good enough anymore. As for that, we've already surpassed that. So now we now we're up to like you know attestation, yeah. you know, and ver verifying like if if Microsoft and Google are, are yeah. compiling it the same exact way and come up with the same yeah. result, you know, then 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 we know that it's a higher degree of of certainty. You know, well, and, and I mean, the questions <laughs> about that, right? If we talk about build reproducibility in certain languages, exactly. Right? I mean, I, I, you should. Uh, a shameless plug for my own talk tomorrow. We'll be talking, <laughs> Andrew Martin from Control Plane Absolutely. and I will be talking about uh, some of those issues. But I mean, a lot of people don't even realize this, that, you know, depending on how your build system is set up, that your thing may or may not be, you know, bit identical to the previous one, even though there's been no source code changes. I would argue that that's that's harder to do than than easier to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, these, these things all come down to trust. I think, you know, there's there's. Uh, what a lot of the emerging technologies in security are trying to do is establish chains of trust. Sure. But, you know, uh, where where does the chain of trust end, right? You know, at some point you either say, well, I'm, I completely trust Cisco, right? <laughs> okay, that, that's, that, that's a choice you might make, yep. or, or Sneak, or any of us, yeah, right? Yeah. But, you know, there's a, it's very difficult to draw a line and say, yes, I can absolutely trust that thing. Because, uh, you know, how do I know what's upstream in your build? in your build pipeline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's about build pipeline. It's about packaging. It's about, there's so many different yeah. elements that, that go into this that it's just, you know, it's 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 going to be many, many years until we figure figure this out. Yeah. And, and really, and there's probably not one, I, I know there's not one answer. There's going to be many answers to this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's still a lot of open questions, you know, certainly in my mind and, you know, others are far more knowledgeable in the S-bomb field than I am, but there's certainly... A lot of things that I, th I feel like are still, you know, kind of emerging about how do we manage these things? What am I supposed to do with them? Where do they live? Yeah. You know, where does the signing bit of the S-bomb go? Right. Because, you know, everybody's got a tool now that will say, yeah, I'll generate you an S-bomb. But are you, are you signing that? What, what are you signing it with? <laughs> Whose key is that? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I think there's all it's great to say, yes, we've got this technology which can programmatically describe to you exactly what's in a thing. But unless we have an agreed concept of like, how do we actually use these things? You know, how do we how do we store them? How do we manage them? How do we share them? You know, and I think those things are still uh, are still being codified. Yeah. Yeah, you it's know. funny because I think we have registries for everything. We have registries for packages. We yeah. have registries for for virtual machines. We got registries for containers. Now we're going to probably have a registry for S bomb because we're going to need somewhere to store yeah. all, the, all the final results of all this. And I, I, <laughs> I think the challenging thing as well is that, you know remembering that the vast majority of the industry is the long tail as well, right? And and I mean you know when you deal with with uh, 
with enterprises, there's people on all stages of this journey about digital transformation. There's people who are still getting their heads around virtual machines and yes. cloud platforms, right? Yes. Big companies. Absolutely. <laughs> so, like, you know, we sit at conferences like this and talk about this cutting edge of, <laughs> of security, of S-bombs and signing and all this stuff. And, you know, there's just it, it, it's just a very, very difficult problem for... for uh, for a lot of of, uh, of enterprises still on the start of that journey. Yeah, I mean, so I always go back to, you know, the reason why this is a really, really difficult problem is because, you know, you and I, we, we, we've probably, I know I've been around, and I'm, I'm sure you have too, to, you know, since the beginning of Kubernetes. Yeah. And kind of followed that along. And as we do that, new things came out, we looked at those things. New things came out, we looked at those things. But think about a company that's, like, getting into it today. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you know, we're, we're told that we have to turn these things called legacy into these things called microservices. Yeah. All right, well, where do I even start with that? All right, yeah, first yeah. of all, i got to figure out the whole development cycle there. But then i got to figure out, okay, well, I heard about this thing called Kubernetes. All right, uh, you know, so let me, go to a, let me go to a KubeCon. Let's check this out. Okay, let's look at the CNCF site. Uh, there's, I don't know, I'm, I'm just saying, I haven't looked in a while, maybe 5,000 packages. <laughs> yeah. uh, and let's just figure out, okay, Kubernetes, what's your CNI? What's your CSI? What's this thing called a load balancer? What's I have your, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, and it's like, you're, you're, you're just trying to grapple with all of that. And you're, you're, you're tasked with bringing your application up. And, and that's really where your focus is. Yeah, yeah. So, so really, and, and you don't even understand yet that Kubernetes, unless you understand what you're doing is probably insecure out of the box. Yep. Um, yep. And, and you know, you're not even thinking about that yet. You're just thinking about get this stuff up and running. So really what uh, there, it's, it's interesting to me because I feel like at this point there needs to be more education to people. A, that there's Kubernetes is pretty insecure out of the box and how to yeah. make it just standard secure. And B, that we need to start to get security much more closer to to start, you know, when you start to think about development rather yeah, than yeah, as, as a post. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is you know, with my sneak hat on, this is exactly the space yeah. that, that we sit in, and and we're one of the the first players in that idea about you you the only way to solve these these modern world security problems is to shift security left. You know, yes. you've got these two these two massively competing things a. Uh, there's not enough security people in the world. <laughs> and, um, you know, the old role of security people as kind of gatekeepers, security says yeah. no, you know, which you and I probably remember, <laughs> certainly yeah, remember yeah. In, in, in my era, yep. you know, of sort of waterfall development and all that kind of stuff. Well, nobody can do that anymore because, you know, as we, as we talked about before, you know, velocity is the kind of, that's the driver of success yes. in the cloud world. Yes. And you can't, there's no getting away from that, right? You know, we can say, oh, we've got to slow down. But I mean, it's just, you know, there will be someone who's going to eat a lunch. And we see it in every, in every industry, even in industries where we thought they could never be disrupted, right? There's one every week where you go, wow, why didn't I think of that? You know, this is a, like a, some legacy industry, multi-billions of dollars, somebody owned it. And then some startups just gone, Yep. Take it away because they've got they have better better uh, interfaces, better APIs, and they understand how to react to data. Yep. You know, and if you've got those three things, and you've got motivated and talented developers, you know, as we know, we've seen it a thousand times before. Absolutely. Ten people can take down a you know a, a multi-billion-dollar company that's been around for yeah. fifty years. Yeah. 
That's that's very very true. So uh, you know those 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 things are are, are you know in co- in competition with each other. Not enough security folks. They can't have that gatekeeper role anymore. So you've kind of got to build security into your software development lifecycle, and that means really giving developers insights into things right where they work. You know, so in IDEs, in CLIs, in uh, in your CI/CD pipeline. You know, uh, insights into what vulnerabilities there are and the packages that you're including, what licenses you're including, all this stuff, um, you know, because fixing it at the developer eyeball is the cheapest place you're ever going to get to fix it, you know, before it's even gone into source code management. And um, I think that... uh, you know, we all have to adopt that that way of working. It's an absolute, absolute given. And, it, you know, as a, as an industry, I think we're just getting our heads around what the tooling looks like to be able to do that. Because you don't want developers to be, become security people either, no. right? That's never going to happen. No. So what you need to do really is to say, you know, I mean, I remember the days of... of uh, of securing applications and securing uh, early cloud platforms where, you know, you'd get presented with a spreadsheet of CVEs from the security team and you'd just go, yep. oh, these are all meaningless <laughs> I, I to me. I was part of that. Well, I'm just supposed to read all these and <laughs> understand whether this application is being used and who's deployed it. And, yeah. you know, it's about giving developers just enough information they need and insights into how to action it. Yeah. How do I fix it, and which ones should I prioritize? And those are the two big questions in security right now. It's prioritization and um, automatic automatic remediation. So, so this is a, a hot topic that I, that I highly debate <coughs> with people now in the security industry. And I came from I came up from network security for like twenty years, where yeah. firewalls were king, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and all those yeah. kinds of things uh, back in the yeah. day. And and I've evolved over over the years, and so I understand where it came from, and I think where I think where it's going. But really, what what the, the question is is who cares about security in a company these days? It used to be the CISO is the one that kind of you know gets the regulations, creates some policy, pushes it down to the security team. Security was more of an IT function, not really a, yeah. a DevOps function. But now you have things called DevSecOps if yeah. that really exists. You have DevOps, you have you know, um, you know, you have all the you have the developer. Where in your mind do you see like this shift of like and it could be multiple places, but where where do you really see like this software uh, you know, th- this problem that we have today, really, really sitting and which in which teams? I mean, I, I think, you, you know, again, part of that shift left movement is, is a move towards a more shared responsibility model between the actual operational teams. Right. But in, in terms of the, the first part of your question about who should care about it, you know, clearly everybody should care yeah, about yeah, it. And yeah. particularly, you know, I mean, IBM have done some really interesting numbers on the costs of data breaches. Have you seen those which are just like something like. It's several million dollars average of a data breach cost yeah, yeah. To, a, to an organization. And, you know, we're, we're entering an era of, um, you know, of criminal liability for, for CISOs, which, again, is, you know, is concerning from that. Who's yeah. going to want to be a CISO, yeah, right? If a all of a sudden, you know, I can go to prison. Yeah. What? Nobody told me that yeah. when, when I did my qualification, <laughs> you know. I, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think... Um, I definitely think it's sh- it's it sharpened the mind of everybody. The events of the last couple of years, yeah, yeah, in terms of data breaches and and the emergence of this gigantic supply chain issue. Uh, so I think even even C-suite folks who probably didn't 
didn't care too much about security, you know, uh, are now it's it's got to be top of mind for them because of the uh, the liability issue. Yeah, I mean, but do you think like if if I was putting in like a like you know your solution or or even some of our solutions, it doesn't doesn't really matter. But what who is who is implementing it? And who is the people? Who are the people making making the policy? You know, who, like yeah, is it IT so, ops? Is it DevOps? Is it? I mean, I think this is where the shifting role of security yeah. comes into play, right? And uh, and um, there's a uh, there's a, uh, a thing about about security moving from being gatekeepers to being toolsmiths yeah. and trusted advisors. I like right? that. So so these are the the those folks who've got that deep security knowledge, but you know. Uh, moving into this kind of uh, a thing of, of building the guardrails for developers, right? Because what you know, sneak and and other security vendors obviously <laughs> do exist, but you know, it's all about providing a, a paved road, you yeah. know, where it's where it's kind of super easy for for uh, for developers to adopt best practice security without them even having to think about it, and. You know, we can do some of that, you know, in Kubernetes as well, right? The platform level, things like, you know, uh, and, and many experienced operators do this already in terms of, uh, of uh, mutating webhooks and stuff like that to add security context settings. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, I, I think uh, that that's a kind of um, uh, partly where, where the security experts shift into that, into that mindset of designing the, the, the ramps that, that developers use. Do you, so, so they'll design that. Do you think that the DevOps teams are the ones that actually implement it? Or do you think that it's kind of a, now they're kind of converging? Yeah, I think they're converging. And, yeah. you know, when we see um, organizations that have successfully practicing uh, DevSecOps stuff, they, they're building that security stuff into the rest of their kind of platform operations things, you know, uh, team dashboards, which include security vulnerabilities in that particular team's source code. So you present it in the same way that you might pre present it with other information about the, you know, uh, with releases and, and uh, issues and all that kind of stuff. You're also kind of consuming that that security information. So it all just becomes part of the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. When I build something to release software, that's just an element of what I what I know that we do. Yeah, it's it's so weird for me because I remember when I when you know years ago when I was an IT director, the you know IT and IS were totally separate, and yeah. IT could care less what IS did. Yeah, yeah. And IS didn't really want any any involvement with yeah. IT. So yeah, and I mean, can't really be that at way the anymore. start of my yeah. career, you know, and uh, <laughs> it always felt like a lot of security folks didn't actually want people to change anything <laughs> well i mean in fact it was a lot like that yeah. right you know it was like just, just don't touch anything <laughs> don't touch it yeah, don't change it it's not broken yeah let's not do anything yeah we might have a change window in yes. six months yeah. we'll look at <laughs> it then yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's, that's I don't think I don't think young folks entering the industry now appreciate like no, how know. we used to do things. No. <laughs> well, it makes us sound really old now, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely a lot more red tape around how things could be done, but it also rightfully so because we didn't have these. We, we didn't software. have the feedback mechanism. We, we didn't have a feedback. And we, yeah. we had software running on a single server with libraries, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, instead exactly, of yeah. microservices. That then you can yeah. spin one out, put one in, and change it yeah. up, and you know, move it over. And yeah, and if organizations are super advanced, they had like dark data centers with yeah, like yeah. mirrored machines yep. that might switch over, but yeah. you know, and it'll take you know six hours or something, yeah. and that was good. <laughs> yeah. We just oh, have to God. migrate the data yeah. over. <laughs> 
yeah. yeah it's definitely uh it's 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 an interesting world that that we uh yeah <laughs> that, that we've come to but I, I think from a security perspective, we're just starting to to uh, see really interesting ways where we can uh, refine and enrich that data, though, right? And this is this has really come from all these things starting to to collide together about programmatic infrastructure, because you know the fact that that we have a way of of, uh, of automatically understanding where things are, where they're deployed, what they're what they're able to talk to, all that kind of information. Now let's us be able to to start saying, well, you know, I've got this vulnerability, but am I exercising that code path? And yeah. is it actually deployed in production? And that starts to give you some some uh, some kind of really critical data in terms of prioritization right it's yeah. exposed there in production fix that first yeah. and, and this is the first time in history we've kind of been able to do that right yeah. you can only do it if you've got fully programmatic infrastructure it's it's funny because when, when i was um you know in network security i always thought about the fact that you know they, they had all these uh you know seam systems and uh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah all these kinds of things but but these things will tell you uh you know aggregate everything but there's no agents to tell you really if that was vulnerable. Like you just had servers, and there yeah. wasn't anything that really correlated the, uh, you know, the the what you have installed versus what what the vulnerability yeah. is. And and I always thought about that. And this was like in the you know in the '90s. You know, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, why doesn't somebody come out with this? And this is exactly what we're starting to do now. And it's it's really impressive to yeah. see because that's that gives you a lot more information about you know how to prioritize like you're saying yeah you know so it's 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 definitely interesting the other thing i always think about is though is that the information that you're gathering for security really should be combined with information for performance because it's almost the same data a lot of that data is similar so really you should have security metrics and performance metrics because two of those things you need in order to be successful you know you could always have a ddos attack when you're when you're or you or your performance could go down because you've created something within uh, your dev environment and when you're going to install that performance is going to go down so really performance and security almost go hand in hand in my yeah. mind because they they're 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 needed on one end of the yeah. one end or the other end of the spectrum yeah yeah i agree with that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so so it's um you know, I, I think that we're just starting to see, as you said, a lot of these tools that are um, that are evolving, and and it's it's all it's all really interesting to, to watch. And I'm a techie, so I love to watch yeah. how this stuff is really, you know, migrating and, and what the reason is why why these things came about. You know, um, well, and now we're about to throw AI generated programming into the mix, so you know that's uh, that's going to change the whole landscape oh my God, again. That's a whole other topic. I mean, yeah. I, for, first of all, I mean the lawsuits that are going to come out of that are yeah. going to be insane in every single different type of mm. uh, mechanism. But you know, I, I mean, even going back to security, they already have an AI password cracker that they say can can crack the passwords, fifty mm. percent of passwords within one minute. And I think they said the rest in an hour. Yeah. So, so you know, we were we were all looking at quantum, worried about okay, yeah, quantum's yeah. going to be the thing that that kills passwords, and and we weren't even thinking about AI coming around and doing this stuff. Well, I mean, I think you've already seen other other use cases that that folks have have, have been showing uh, GPT models. You, yeah. you know, generate me an exploit for this CVE. There you go, one second. You know, I mean, it's. Uh, and, and you know, once you imagine that in an API-driven loop, that's you know, 
it's a it's a new world about to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, you know, it goes back to I, I remember, and this is another little story. Uh, you know, when Nimda came out, this was years ago. This was our Code Red Nimda yeah. years ago when I was still in network security. Um, I actually, you know, looked at the vulnerability, and I could have done this with AI now, but I looked at the vulnerability and said, okay, I understand how this attack vector is going. And I used the same exploit with, with a, you know, a, I wrote code to, to use the same exploit with a uh, limiter of my network subnet to go out and use that same exploit to patch it. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's really what AI can do today is just you can create stuff to, to yeah. kind of, uh, you know, um, go after those things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think there's, a, again, you know, there's this double-edged sword like there is with every piece of technology, yeah. right? There's, a, there's a, the, the first thing that clearly um, a lot of folks are going to start using using AI either to write programs entirely or at least to, to scaffold, you know, we see that even in a limited way in in Copilot and things, but you know, with with ChatGPT, people are writing complex applications that entirely work correctly, yeah. um, you know, without writing any code at all. Yeah. And you know, if you, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because if you've included in that prompt, make sure that this this is not, um, you know, is not uh, is not vulnerable to any known CVEs or whatever. You know, and you're eliminating the the element of human error. You know, I mean, what are most most uh, uh, software vulnerabilities are, are programming errors. You know, particularly memory safety things. You yeah. know, off by ones and whatever. Uh, you know, uh, just to do with mass calculations. Well, you know, in general, computers don't make s simple mass errors, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, you know, and not unless we tell them to. But you know, so. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see that how that develops. Definitely. Yeah, and I, you know, in, the, in a lot of companies I'm talking to right now, they're they're not actually allowed to use GPT in to generate code to generate yeah. code because of all the intellectual property and and not knowing yeah. how that's going to be used and all that kind of stuff. So so you know that's it's interesting to see how companies are responding to to, yeah. to that kind of thing too. Uh, the other conversation I had actually over dinner last night was how it you know. You know, companies aren't allowed to do it, but it'd be great to do use in, to create tests for a lot of the programming. Because yeah. Now you don't have to write all that, you know, yeah. test based programming. It could do it for you. Yeah. Based yeah, yeah. on the code. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a super powerful. I think it's a super powerful tool that that is that is. Uh, there's there's a lot of people who, who who I think the easy the easy out is to say oh well this is just you know regurgitating garbage and all the rest of it. But you know, I, I, personally, I believe it's. Uh, it's what we're seeing is something really transformational that I, you know I and, and, I unless you you know if you if you are not sitting up and taking notice of this you know you may well be out of a job in the next you know because how long are we into this thing right yeah. we're, we're like three months you know what's 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 a year in gonna look like what's five years in gonna look like well so. you know it's really really transformational when people that are not in tech are talking about yeah. it. Yeah. And and I you know, I was just talking to some random people that are that are just, you know, are the furthest away from tech that that possible. And they're like, oh, that this chat GPT thing is so cool. Yeah. You know, and all so, yeah, so yeah. it's 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 already kind of ingrained in the minds of everybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so really, really interesting. So 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 going back to the security, what are the other topics that you're really focusing on these days or are there other topics? 
Uh, what, in terms of security or yeah. in terms of... Well, let's, let's, let's even open it broader. What, what's on your mind these days? Um, I, well, I mean, I'm, I'm super focused on, on community as well as, uh, you know, yeah. my kind of day job. Yeah. Um, I'm a CNCF ambassador. I'm yep. one of the co-organizers of, of Kubernetes Community Days in the UK and various other CNCF events. Yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, as our community grows... That that those uh, that regionality and locality of of stuff becomes super important. You know, not everybody can can come to KubeCons, and you know, so absolutely, uh, you know, sort of growing growing our community, particularly in underrepresented geographies, yeah. is uh, is super important. As I mean, this has just gone gigantic, right? Yeah. I mean, I love that. You know, I went I went through OpenStack, and I thought you know, OpenStack days were pretty huge, and and I think the. The, uh, the Kubernetes and cloud native communities really eclipsed that in terms of scale. And it, you know what's nice is it's, it's, it's a nice community too. You yeah. know, people, people generally want to help people and I think that's, that's really awesome. You know, I, and I think the, one of the other things that I just thought about is, is how do you get involved in, in community? Because I think a lot of people are either intimidated or they don't know the right ways to do it or they don't know how to join or they don't know how to do these things. So what are, what are the, what are the, uh, yeah, I mean, you know? I think community means it means different things to different people, right? I mean, yeah, if yeah. we're talking about, about contributions, the, there's lots of, uh, of, of, uh, easy ways into doing that. Non-code contributions is always something where there's, there's a need for people who write docs, people who translate things. Sure. You know, and uh, and so, but I mean, um, you know, hanging out in in the CNCF and Kubernetes Slack channels, you know, there's lots of friendly folks in there who can Absolutely. point you in the right direction. But there's a whole, you know, there's just a huge spectrum of things that you can do to to uh, to get involved with with the community in general, from organizing local events, you know, and and pulling together people who are interested in cloud native in your town, in your city, in your in your region. Uh, to you know, contributing code if that's what what you want to do. You know, in uh, two hundred thousand code contribution code contributors now, which is just gigantic. And that's there's, you, but there's, you know, there's still not enough, right? There's uh, there's there's always going to be appetite there for so, uh, you know. But um, there's lots of friendly folks in the community. Folks can reach out to me and whatever. Oh no! Don't say that because now everybody's going to reach out to you. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> Matt Jarvis, I know you have gigantic reach. But you know, any any joking aside, any of the CNCF ambassadors, that's you know part of part of our role is to to help folks get you know get involved where they want to and uh, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so I, I guess it comes down to what are you passionate at, at? You know, that's really, I guess, the question that you ask people that want to join the community is, where do your passions lie? Yeah. And and really, yeah. really, you know, focus in on that because that seems like that's that's the right thing to do. And I think that if you're passionate about something, then you'll find a way to, to do it. Yeah, and I, I I think there's a there's a couple of different uh, things, you know, following on from that. The first is that it's fantastic that almost anything from a technology perspective that you could be interested in, the, the cloud native landscape is now wide enough to accommodate you, right? From, yes. from machine learning to networking to security yep. Yep. to, you know, containers to, to whatever whatever floats your boat, right? There's, there's going to be some little niche in the cloud native world that's that's right up your street but uh, i i do think it's a uh, you know contributing to open source projects in general is a fantastic uh, career enabler yeah. and uh, you know it's the one thing that i 
I uh, talk about a lot to, to folks who I mentor, both internally at uh, at Sneak, but but also in the community sense that uh, you know getting involved with upstream projects, contributing to things, you know, chopping wood and carrying water, as you know the saying goes, you know, yeah. helping others is is actually a uh, you know uh, it's highly likely that that's how you might find your next job, right? Yeah. And, you know, because it's. Uh, being uh, having some some visibility and and having that uh, external authenticity is is becoming super important I think and it's super important to be able to communicate about what you're doing as well you know so if you loved you know if you if you're doing great work writing a blog about it yeah make a little video yeah. you know whatever yeah that's 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 a really important thing you know it's funny because uh, you know people. A lot of people in, you know, probably the same as you in, in the career are like, well, how did you get here? You know, what did what is it that yeah, you did? Yeah, I have no idea. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, it's I'm passionate about what I yeah. do. And I, and I think, you know, I love to share with other people and I love yeah, to no, find same, out. Yeah. And, and, and it's and it's not about what I know either. It's it's about exchanging information, yeah. you know, finding out what other people are interested in and, and kind of, you know, I learn every day. This is why I love this show. Is because I learn new things every day that I didn't even know. Yeah, you know, just talking yeah, to people. Yeah. So it's, it's and this is how I ended up in in uh, in developer relations and developer advocacy, right? Yeah. Is because I was kind of doing that stuff anyway. <laughs> it's exactly how I you ended know up I here. was running I was running meetups. I was writing about stuff yeah. uh, because I was passionate about about that stuff. And yeah. you know, I've been involved in open source for for a long time, and yeah. you know, that's kind of always been. Uh, at the back of of that stuff is contributing, you know, wanting to to uh, you know do something to support the the stuff that I'm super excited about, and uh, and you know it's ended up in a career for me. So yeah. you know, and for most people in Devrel, that's that's also the pathway that that they've how they've ended up, you know, doing that job. Yeah, it's it's interesting in developer relations because. Um you know, it's it's kind of a unique talent because you you a have to be good at you have to be technical, and b you have to be able to really communicate with people. Yeah, and there's you you're, you'd be surprised at how little yeah. amount of people there are that can actually do those two things and do it well. Yeah, I mean it's it's um it, it's it's a skill set that's that's unique. I always I always you know I tell people it's not my technical I you know the technical skills that have gotten me this this far. It is. You know, my ability to to convert technical into non-technical yeah. is really is yeah, really yeah. more of the the skill set that I think that that has gotten me where I am. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately, we're we're kind of all about telling stories as well. We are right? about context. It's all about narrative. Yeah, I think about things in narrative. What is the narrative we're trying to we're yeah. trying to talk about, and where do we want people to end up at the end of the day? Where do we want, and how do you talk about that over a period of time? Yeah, you know. Yeah, because there's 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 like you know there's a certain element to to all of this stuff about the how, right? I mean, uh, we create loads of of things in my team about how to do X with Y, you know, and that's great content. It's brilliant, you know, it's super useful to people. Yeah. But but then you know, I, I also spend a lot of time talking about the why, uh, and absolutely. and the why that's is is you know you kind of need to understand what went before and what might be coming after to talk about why. Yeah. And uh, those are interesting conversations yeah yeah the, I, and uh, for me i'm i'm like an origin story type guy I, i'd like to understand <laughs> the origin story of why yeah. why things came about and it's always really interesting you yeah, know? yeah yeah um so so i'm um, you know i totally agree with that and um yeah no I, it's 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 definitely 
you know, it's 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 weird when your realization comes that you can use all your skills that you've learned over the years, yeah. put them together, kind of in Devrel. Yeah, and and it, and it just kind of it's like oh this is what I should have been doing all along you know. But I mean I think even if you don't want to get into Devrel, I mean yeah. I, I say this to to engineers that it, it's it, I think it's super important for you in 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 uh, as a part of of career progression to be able to communicate about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, you know? I totally agree with that. And and uh, communicating both upwards and downwards, right? And uh, because that that's kind of uh, it's. it's uh, uh, part of the territory in in my book that you can't kind of do without yeah yeah so we're, we're getting towards the end here so i'd like to ask a couple questions since i'm since i'm at kubecon is a what are you most interested in seeing here while you're at yeah. kubecon and i know we've already <laughs> talked about the fact that you and i probably don't see that much on, on the floor because we're yeah. always so busy yeah but uh and b um what was B? So I said, "What are you most interested in seeing?" And and then, what are you? What do you, you have you seen anything that you're surprised about? I know it just started, so so yeah. You know, well, probably uh, the B is probably not going to be a good answer yet. Yeah, I haven't seen anything <laughs> yeah. yet, other than uh, other than Chris's uh, yeah. his opening keynote, which is which is super awesome, right? Yeah. In terms of of I love I always love the stats at the start of like you know how yeah. these things have grown, you know, especially for those of us who've been coming here for for uh, for 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 a few years yeah. um i think in terms of things i'm interested in um i, I you know there's there's things that i'd like to learn more about wasm being one of them I'm, I'm with you you know uh i'm usually all in on ebpf talks <laughs> yeah. and uh and uh, confidential computing is the other thing that i'm i'm super interested in generally but okay. wasm i think is probably if i do manage to catch some talks it'll be in that kind of uh, that kind of space yeah, this uh, this kubecon it's funny because i think about that and i think about why are people going there by the way just on a side note you know, Wasm to me is think about you know uh, IAS in the early days. You had these plugins that were compiled plugins that you would use for IAS. I yeah. forget what they were called, but and they're basically what Wasm is today. Yeah. You know, so they've, it's, we've kind of come full cycle. Yeah. About that. But but I also think about the fact that I feel like in some respects the ecosystem and Kubernetes, and I say this every year. But Kubernetes has gotten so complex that people want a little bit more simplicity. Yeah, and that's that's what the kind of and it, and it does answer different things too. So so I understand the need for Wasm, but I also see people going Wasm Nomad, you know, yeah. you know and, and other things now. So it's interesting to see, you know, that play out. And I'm trying to figure out all the different reasons, which which I'm trying to. It's going to be a lot of my talk, I think, this this year yeah. is to try and figure out like. Why are people so interested in this? Well, yeah, and I think you're right about you know when you think about the the original the original premise of uh, of systems like Kubernetes is yeah. you know a, a, a fairly straightforward application deployment mechanism. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, what happens to all distributed systems when they become uh, a generalized tool is they end up with the kitchen sink and everything else in them. Right. We yep. see it in 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 you know. Mesos in in OpenStack, in yep. you know, because this kind of isn't the first time we've been around this, we've been around this thing. I, I and I do think you know, there's there's quite often the, the, and I know this is kind of ironic to be saying at KubeCon, but I think there's there's quite often, you know, a question to be asked about is Kubernetes really the thing that you need? Yes, you know, and. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to answer the no, question no, for anybody. I don't think anyone can answer that. I mean, where's the? I'll, I'll yeah. ask the, this one question though that I always think is interesting: is uh, 
where is the you know where's the business value to most organizations right and yeah. it, it, it's solely in that application on the end of it yeah so you know anything else that's not to do with that application and you could argue yeah well the scaling and all the rest yeah. of it is part of that but you know there's an there's an awful lot of of stuff there that you could say well could somebody else do that for me or could that be hidden away behind a uh, you know, behind something. I'm surprised that we haven't seen more, more kind of uh, PaaS layers built on top of Kubernetes. I've been saying it for the last few years, but you know, it's um, it, it's that's interesting. I, I think maybe we we'll start to see that. You know, I know there's there's definitely a lot more people talking about platforms again. You know, perhaps yeah. we'll see some some interesting entrance into the market of people. You know. Well, I think doing that, that. I think that you know I'm going to have Shannon Williams and and Darren on. Yeah, on well, they'll, I'm sure on. they've got some, yeah, some views have, in that acorn. space. Yeah. So so I'll talk to them a, a lot about that, uh, and and their perspective on that. I, I do feel like the, um, you know, I, I start to think about well, what's the real needs? What are the real needs yeah. of the of the the developer? And the real needs are that we want to split the application up into these microservices because then we, you know, that was a software design feature. We, we didn't want to have to update everything in the application. Yeah. So, so I, going back to what you were saying, what's the history? Why did we go this way? And so, so we want to, we want to take a look at that and break it. We, we definitely want to break it into microservices just for software and agility. Then we also want to break it into microservices so we can scale out yeah. certain pieces of that. And, but, does that denote Kubernetes or does that, is there something that's going to surpass Kubernetes or, or even WASM in, in that respect that, that just makes it easy for people to manage these microservices yeah. into a application, define an application, everything in that application has these pieces yeah, and then you can just deploy it as an application mm -hmm. or as the little pieces, you know, migrate, you know, whatever it is, but that's the, you know, we have to break it down to the needs and figure out how to make that less complex for the developers. Yeah, it's a hard problem, right? <laughs> really Otherwise, we would not easy you know, at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, there will be something next, let's yeah. face it, There's bad, there always is. Yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's a, I, I think, um, you know, one of the one of the reasons why why Kubernetes has been super uh, successful is the cleanness of the API. And, you know, so whether uh, whether Kubernetes as it is, is still the thing in 10 years time, or whether the API is still, you know, with something else, who knows? Yeah. But no. I mean, there always is something else in my experience anyway. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. And that's what makes it interesting, honestly, yeah. to me. Yeah. I get bored if, it's, if, if things aren't changing. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. so anyway, thank you so much for coming. Where can people find you? What do you, you know, what, what, where should people go to see? Uh, so I have a panel on Kubernetes Community Days coming up. Um, I need to look up where that is. Um, we're not live. Are we live at the moment? No, we're not no, live. We're not yeah, live. Could, so we, we it's uh, to, uh, that, that's today or tomorrow. Uh, I have got a, a talk with uh, Andrew Martin from Control Plane yeah. on uh, security futures. So we're going to be talking about lots, some of the stuff that we talked about today. But I'll a make bit sure people don't out. listen before you. Yeah, before yeah, that yeah, time. yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and online, if people want to find you, yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the normal places. So, uh, and any any last remarks? Uh, have fun. Have a great conference. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's been great talking to you. Yeah. I always love talking to you. We have we have these great conversations. This is just me and me and Matt talking just normally, but now on on a live stage here. Yeah, yeah that was good. I enjoyed it. Well, thank thanks you. so much. Thank you for having me. All right.